Okay, well, let's move into the Word of God. And um, I'm going to go ahead and read from today's passage. It's Colossians uh, 1, 24, all the way through 29. Before I do that, I'm going to tell you this straight out. I, I actually know this passage, and it's the passage that I have been dreading teaching. And you'll see why in a few minutes. I've known this passage for uh, several decades, and it's like, oh, I don't want to deal with this passage. But we're going to today, and we'll see what God does. Heavenly Fathers, we enter your word. Uh, it's a sacred thing. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. And so with all reverence to you, uh, all silliness aside, Father, we want to look into your word because this is how you speak to us. So bless your word, Father, as we read it now in Jesus' name. Colossians 1.24 and following. Now I, this is Paul speaking, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches and the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. And if you don't mind written prayers from smart people long ago, I offer this, Heavenly Father, gracious God, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us for your Son's sake. Amen. Okay, we've been on the subject of intimacy, intimacy with Christ. And maybe you're tired of that word intimacy. When certain good words get overused, uh, we can uh, get a little slack in those. But intimacy with Christ, and today we get to peek into the life of someone who had intimacy with Christ. I mean, we've been teaching and learning materials and characteristics, but today you get to see an example of a guy who has true intimacy, and the impact that he made on the world um, has, has, has not been lost. And this is the Apostle Paul. Now, as we continue in this theme of Colossians, which is from verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's what the book's about, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, we see this example of Christ in Paul and what that did. And perhaps the greatest demonstration of true personal intimacy with Christ is seen in one's response to suffering. How they respond to suffering really lets you know how close they are to the Lord. And as we look at Paul's attitude, we should keep in mind that he wrote this letter from a prison jail cell, uh, and, and not one of our nice prisons, a bad, bad prison. And so we go into verse 24 where Paul says, in the midst of prison, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul can rejoice because of his close connection with Jesus, because he's so in tune with Jesus. And this is actually considered a very difficult passage of Scripture. I've avoided it for years. It was a passage that we studied in my, my second year uh, inductive Bible study class in school. 
um, uh, several decades ago, and I walked out of that class more confused than when I walked into it. Uh, this is a difficult passage. And again, though, there are some truths in life and theology which we're only going to understand by experience. And so experiencing a little bit more life, I think we've come to some understanding of this passage. Paul finds reasons for rejoicing in his suffering. Paul was not a Christian ascetic. He was not... Um, ascetics practice asceticism. They practice the severe treatment of the uh, body and self-denial and all form, keeping away from all forms of indulgences with the aim uh, toward personal holiness and spiritual depth. It's actually a practice that uh, has been followed by some Christians throughout the centuries. And it appears to be somewhat of a biblical view, being an aesthetic, being, being keeping away from all that, that you would like so that you can be more godly and spiritual. Second Timothy 3.12 says it this way, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I mean, there's suffering involved, and I want to live a godly life, so maybe asceticism is the way to go. But Paul rejoices in his suffering not for the sake of his personal holiness, but rather for the sake of the church. He knew that he suffered on behalf of the body of Christ, which is the church, and that's what blesses his socks off. It's his sufferings for the church. Paul followed in the footsteps of Jesus and was an others-centered person. Paul cared more about others than himself. Paul found personal holiness, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity as he pursued these things for the benefit of others. To be a mature Christian, one has to get out of themselves and into the lives of others. And I don't talk lightly about that. I wonder if suffering for the sake of others is a new concept for some of us. It's not a new concept for any mom out there. You know that you have suffered many things for the sake of these kids and without much payback initially. As I said before, grandchildren do cover a multitude of sins. But uh, that's the way of life. Pursuing um, personal purity and intimacy with God for the benefit of others is really a new paradigm for me and one that I'm going to chew on. And maybe as a church, we should all chew on that. How can we serve others? You know, the old uh, song, to be great in the God's kingdom, we must be the servant of all. And, and that's biblical. But the chief characteristic of intimacy with Jesus is seen in the quality of selflessness. The chief characteristic of intimacy with Jesus is seen in the quality of selflessness. Every other quality produced by intimacy with Jesus is subservient to selflessness. Obedience, perseverance, kindness, gentleness, whatever these things we would consider to be admirable qualities flowing from intimacy all have to pass through the check valve of selflessness. And as soon as pride and selfishness enter in, that check valve is closed, the valve is shut, and we begin to shrivel up, just like with the orange trees out there. Selflessness. The Christian begins to suffocate if they have selfishness in their life. Now, let's move on to the hard phrase. And here it is, I'll rephrase the hard phrase in the full, and it means that you'll get the full impact. This is a difficult one. Paul says, and in my flesh, I do my share in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. 
Oh, that's a tough one. I can already see the penalty flags ready to be thrown up there, right? You're like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Walking in Christ. But Paul said it, not me. And at the outset, we can throw out this as having any relation to Christ's sufferings on the cross for your sin. Um, Paul attaches no atoning value whatsoever to his own sufferings for the church. That's not what this is about. And on top of that, Paul's suffering has no direct connection to the sanctification of the church. While Paul's example may have inspired some to get serious about their Christian walk, and we see that in Philippians where he says, um, I'm in prison, and that motivated some people to preach in, uh, the gospel, whether in pretense or in truth, the gospel's preached. Paul's walk, his suffering, in no way brought about purity to the church body. That's not what it was about. This phrase actually is about consequences. It's about consequences. Consequences when one who is truly intimate with Jesus begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are consequences. The consequences to the church are numeric growth. Numeric growth. Seats filling up. But the consequences to the obediently intimate follower of Christ is likely to be suffering. Suffering in one form or another, but suffering. That's biblical. And as one popular Bible teacher puts it, and I like this, he says, there are three factors that inhibit that inhibit persuasive gospel preaching. And they are these. Confusion regarding the message itself. Fear of the consequences of preaching that message. And complacency regarding the condition of those who are listening to the message. If you find diffidence or timidity in your pulpit, if the person up there is weak in this area, you're going to find one or more of those things at work. Confused about what they should be saying, fearful about how people will receive what they are saying, or simply not caring about the salvation of those in the audience. Paul could never be charged with any of these conditions. Paul's message was marked by clarity, by authority, and by urgency, because he had intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's preaching of the gospel resulted in stoning, in beating, in arrest, shipwreck, hunger, betrayal, and church growth. The church grew as a result. And to understand how Paul fills up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, we have to understand the degree to which people actually hate Jesus. We said last week that people are not just complacent about Jesus. They are hostile towards Jesus and his message. People still want to get their licks in on Jesus, but they can't get to him. So they go to the next best thing. They go to his followers and hurl their abuse on them. They go after those who truly demonstrate intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives, those who share the gospel, not from the pulpit, but in the lab, in the classroom, on the job site, and at the office. That's who they attack. Now, why is this passage so hard to understand? Because persecution is not the experience of most people who would call themselves Christians 
in the Western church today. And quite frankly, much of what we would call religious persecution, much of, of what people have described as I was persecuted, people are against me, amounted to them being disliked really because, well, they were jerks. <laughs> Not because of our purity or our righteousness. Okay, we have Paul as an example of one who had intimacy with God. So let's just stop there for a second and let's get serious about this. Before we go on, I have to ask you the most important question. This is in life the most important question. Give me a slide, would you? The most important question. What do you want? What do you want? You know, I've been a cop for about 33 years, 27 of which was in a black and white knocking on doors, many calls a day. And after people went and vented to me all the things they wanted to say, I'd finally say, what do you want? Uh, uh, identify what you want, it'll determine what you do. What do you want? And so let me ask you, do you actually want intimacy with Jesus Christ? We've been talking about this for several weeks, and so we've, we've had a chance to chew on this. You've had a chance to think about this. Um, we acknowledge that intimacy with God is the greatest need of all Christians. We said that a worthy walk flows out of intimacy with God. We said that intimacy with God is found only through Jesus Christ and that um, sin hinders our intimacy with God. But let's settle this now. Do you actually want intimacy with God? I mean, do you really want intimacy with God? You see, what you want will always determine what you're going to do. So, this would be a great time to tell God the truth. Lord, I want intimacy with you. Or the other truth. Lord, I don't want intimacy with you. Be honest with him, he already knows. If you truly want the level of intimacy experienced by Paul, it is available to you and me, it's there. And today, if you want it, um, we're going to, before we leave here, I'm going to give you a truth that will open the door to that intimacy. So for some of you, that should um, kind of get you intrigued or even excited. So let's go ahead and open that door if you really want it. Here it is, folks. Give me a slide, would you? The principle is this, that intimacy with God requires death to self. Intimacy with God requires death to self. There's just no way around that, folks. Paul says it this way, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. Now, last week we spoke about the chief theological concept regarding our salvation. It's called substitution. We talked about substitution. Substitution. Jesus substituted himself in your place and bore the wrath of sin in your place. Substitution. Well, here is the flip side of substitution. Where Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The flip side is my life is now his life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says it this way, And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Galatians 5.24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 6.14, 
But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is a biblical concept. In fact, Jesus actually agreed with it. Um, Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And just to be clear, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about getting saved. We're talking about intimacy. Uh, Jesus in uh, Luke 14, 27, he says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Intimacy. You're not going to have an intimate relationship. If your Christian journey has not fully satisfied, as I suspect with many of us it has not, it is time to start to chew on this idea of the crucified life. Now, as soon as I mention the crucified life, that, that, little, that little systemization tool in the back of your mind begins to tabulate a new list of things to do and things to not do. And that's entirely the wrong attitude. That's not what this is about. It's not another to-do list and don't-do list. That's not what's going on here. Listen, God doesn't want you good. God doesn't want you good. He wants you dead. And that's a much higher standard. Much higher standard than any do-good list or do-bad list or be-good list or be-bad list. It's about death. His life for your life. Is that the Christianity you signed up for? And because our world can be nuts, let me just give a disclaimer. This is not about suicide. Paul says, I don't laugh, believe me. Paul says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus wants to live his life through you. So don't get extreme on me. But let me do ask you this. In your Christian experience, in your Christian journey, let me ask you, have you died? Have you come to the place in your spiritual journey where you said, Lord, take my life, it's yours. My, my money, my kids, my wife, my pride, my passion, it's yours. Are you there? Okay, let me just stop for a second here. It's intense, I know. Everything I just said is 100% true. Stand by it, it's biblical. But allow me to be a little bit transparent. And Gunnar may not want me back after this. I first memorized Galatians 2.20. Uh, it was the first verse I ever memorized. Late 1981, U.S. Navy, little island called Guam, maybe 40 years ago. I should have this down by now. It's my life's verse. It's on my wall at home. <laughs> and every Bible teacher understands the phrase, live the lesson. You know what I'm saying. That's not an exhortation to live the lesson. Live the lesson is a gift given to Bible teachers by the Holy Spirit of God where they are privileged to get an understanding of a lesson to a degree that they can communicate it with both passion and sincerity. They get to live the lesson. Well, I want to tell you, for the past several weeks, and really culminating this past week, and maybe even last night, I have been absolutely miserable in this passage. Miserable. God has led me in a journey where he has revealed a level of selfishness. And not conceptual selfishness, 
But this ugly manifestation of my own petty me-first attitudes and actions, and when I don't get my way, there's, there's malice and reprisal and anger and bitterness at levels that frighten even me. God's let me live this lesson. And you can imagine my, my dear wife has been in receiving end of these attitudes and behaviors, and no, she doesn't blame the Holy Spirit. She, she blames me for my sin. And that said, that's just transparent. Um, I've been doing this long enough where I know that this sort of journey is not exclusively for my benefit. Perhaps this is for you too. I know that 60 will fix everything. Weeks away, folks. The journey will be fixed. I said that when I was 40. It still hasn't quite worked. Selfishness. Selfishness is the number one thing that keeps you and me from intimacy with God. Selfishness. And for those who answered honestly earlier, selfishness is what keeps you from even wanting intimacy with God. And what kind of fool says, yeah, I want that. I want to die for God. A smart fool. And you know exactly what I'm talking about with selfishness. I don't have to explain to you selfishness. Rather, this may be a good time for we as a church to actually confess our sin. You know, you, you don't get sin fixed unless you admit that it is sin. It's not, honey, I'm sorry. It's, it's honey, I yelled at you. That's sin. Honey, I... I said that harsh thing, that's sin. That, that's how you get confession. That's, that's confession. It's admitting that something's sin. Maybe it's actually time that we as a church actually repent. Oh, in church, John? Yeah, what say you? What say you? Pray this. If you want to pray this, pray Lord, we as a body of believers, before these body of believers, I confess to you my selfishness and my responses. I confess that to you, Lord, as sin. And we admit that it's sin as a group here. And, and we repent of it and ask you to grow us out of it. Amen. How easy is that? Anybody else with me at all? Yeah, but we'll find out in a few weeks when uh, Gunner uh, decides to preach on wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives without bitterness. But that's a journey yet to come. That's for Gunner. Okay, you see this death to self, this, this act that Jesus says must be taken up daily is requisite for all those who desire intimacy with God and who want a truly substantial life. And I just want to say that I'm so glad that God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning we get to start again. We get to start again. Is it okay, Mother? <laughs> Colossians 3 is a sort of a how-to book on these matters, so don't go away. As as a church, Gunner's going to walk us through this process uh, in a few weeks, Colossians 3. But let's get back to Paul. Listen, Paul did not come to this point of intimacy in one fell swoop. Yes, he was knocked off his high horse, but that was just to get his attention. As you read your Bible, you find out that Paul spent time with Jesus Periods of time, three years here, 14 years there, as he began to understand 
um, these things. And long before he became Paul of the prison epistles, Jesus had to teach him these things. He had to grow in his understanding of the gospel and his, and his particular mission in the spread of the gospel. What was he supposed to do? And like you and me, Paul had to intentionally grow in intimacy with Jesus. And with that intimacy, Paul was given a mission. Look at verse 25 of chapter 1, Colossians. Of this church, here's the mission, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Don't you long to know, God, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my mission? I'm sure that's crossed your mind. And the mistake made by many is rather than grow in intimacy with God, they decide to go ahead and carry out a mission. I'll find some religious thing to do, some ministry to get involved in. I'll serve God on my own terms. And in my opinion, this is just me, in my opinion, if you can possibly stay out of full-time Christian service, then you should probably stay out of it. If you aren't compelled and, and commissioned by God to vocationally preach the gospel, you're probably not going to make it. Church work is brutal. It's brutal. And those who are in intimacy following Jesus and in the preaching of his word are those who will incur the hatred the world unleashed on Jesus through his followers. You're going to get beat up. Certainly that was Paul's experience. Still, God has wired you for a special purpose, for a mission. As long as you're breathing, there's a job to be done. And you won't have satisfaction in this life until you are immersed in the purpose for which he has wired you. You are wired for something substantial. That should bless your socks off and get you excited. Paul's purpose was to fully explain the gospel. That's his purpose. And it needed explaining because though there were hints of the gospel in the Old Testament, they were buried deep in the pages of Scripture. Look at verse 26. The, the gospel, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from, from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested in his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery was that Jesus would actually indwell his believers, not just Jewish believers, but Gentiles also. The mystery was that each of us can now access a level of intimacy with God so deep and so personal that nothing else can come close to bringing satisfaction to the life of the believer. And still, we are surrounded by Christians who, in all honesty, will tell you that Christianity has not satisfied. And I agree, Christianity cannot satisfy. Christianity cannot satisfy. It is Christ who can satisfy the thirsty soul. Christ in you. Again, this is not a call to be religious. It's not about church going but to a relationship with a living Jesus Christ who dwells in you. And that said, this is the Christian's hope of glory. Now, the best English concept, 
I won't say word, but concept of hope of glory is the word assurance. This kind of hope is the assurance of glory. It's a sure deal. Christ in us is the assurance of our future hope where you're going to heaven if you're a Christian. But Christianity, salvation, is not about going to heaven. That's a byproduct. It's about the life that God lives here through you. It isn't our own it isn't our own hard work or devotion to God or the, or the power of our own spirituality. Instead, it is the abiding presence of Jesus, Christ in you. Something to think about. Something to think about. Christ in you. What does that mean? And there is the paradox. There is the problem. You don't need to be super spiritual or super committed or super anything for Jesus to dwell in you. The assurance of going to heaven is there if you've put your trust in Christ and the work he's done for you to forgive your sin. You're, you're, you're there. But with Christ dwelling in you, you will never experience that super substantial abundant life spoken of by Jesus unless you do pursue intimacy with the one who indwells you. Because that's the reality of who you are in Christ. And continuing in any other way is just not going to bring satisfaction. And hence in chapter 3, we read, Christ who is our life. In today's verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was the focus of Paul's preaching. He didn't preach himself or his opinions or even lots and lots of entertaining stories. He preached Jesus. Look at verse 28. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. It's about Jesus. And in fact, that's my ministry goal, I'll tell you right out, to present every man complete in Christ. Isn't that the goal of every mother here to present their children complete? Every grandma, every grandpa to present those kids complete? You get that. Paul reminds us that it takes work. But it isn't a matter of the perfect curriculum or the perfect school or the perfect church or the perfect spouse. Rather, we accomplish this only by tapping into the very power of God. A power made personally available to you as you seek Him in whatever ministry field He has assigned you to. And Paul says it this way in verse 29, For this purpose also I labor. Striving, how? According to his power, which mightily works in me. And we too have access to that power because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Now, what are you going to do with that power? That's always a big question. What are you going to do? It's quite a responsibility, Christ in you. You want to do right by that. How will you demonstrate that you actually believe that the power of Christ dwells in you? Are you striving according to your power or his power? If it's your power, you're going to burn out. Some of you have experienced that. No shame in that, but that's the reality. What do you think hinders his power from mightily working within you? Chew on that. How come that's not there in my life? What's going on? He wants to answer that for you. Is there some measure where your self is in the way of intimacy with Jesus? Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. If this describes you, 
you are normal. You're normal. God is not disappointed with you. Those around you understand the difficulties of dying to self and letting Jesus live through you. And that's why you need the body of Christ. That's why you need a church. Not for this, for them and them in your life. You know, one thing I love coming to Grace Point is it gives Michelle and I exposure. My daughter already knows what goes on at home. But as you people wander in there, you're smart people. You see the issues. You see the people. And we can't grow out of our issues without you. Exposure. Come to church. Get to know each other. You get lots of opportunities here. Debbie puts on the, what's the latest, bingo, taco, whatever you do. We, we go there monthly, and it's just love, dinner eights. And lo, we love lots of connection here, folks. But still, God is not disappointed, and those of us around understand. Still, God does not intend to leave you in your current state. He tells us, for I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. I used to read that he'll perfect it at the day of Christ. When I see him, I'll be like him. No, no. While you're here on earth, you're going to be growing. He'll make sure of that. But I don't want to. Don't worry, he is the cure. Usually involves pain. He gets your attention. So let me ask you, what practical steps can you take to quash your self-reliance, your self-pleasing, your self-serving tendencies? What steps can you take? Jesus has this super substantial abundance purpose for you, and it will thrill you and it will bless your socks off as you get to know what it is. You're wired for it. The question is, do you want it? What do you want? Do you want it? And if this hits a nerve with you today, and you want to take action, do, do come up and speak with our prayer warriors after the service. It's not an altar call. I'm not doing that. But it's a step in the right direction. Let somebody know you want to take a next step. We're here to help you. It's what we want to do. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this great book of Colossians. And as, as uh, Paul filled up in his flesh what is lacking in your sufferings here, Father, you've called for us to do the same. So Lord, let us suffer within if we do not pursue the intimacy with you that you make available. And if we suffer without, oh Lord, give us the strength. Life can be brutal. We thank you for the hope the assurance of our future because Christ lives within us. In Jesus' name, amen.